Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Life After Tech Bootcamp, where I talk to a different Springboard alum each week to see what they're up to now. I'm really excited about today's guest. She was one of the first students I met during my UX course, and we'll dive into that first meeting story in a bit. So to introduce Phoebe, Phoebe is a product owner at Podchaser. She was a director and producer of a small cable travel show before transitioning to the world of UX. Phoebe, welcome. It's so good to reconnect with you after all of these years. It is. So yeah, it's so good to see you. It's so good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, I remember we met. So Springboard will, at least for the UX course, I'm sure the other tracks too, they have you start with your capstone project and for user testing, you test out your prototypes on other students. And I forget if you tested mine, but I definitely tested your, um, I, it was an app for books and I think suggesting yep. books. Yeah, you were part of my um, initial uh, user research testing round where I think I asked you a million questions about how you pick a book to read and what books you like and who you go to for referrals. Yeah, you were amazing, by the way, as a as an interviewee. <laughs> so, oh, thank you, and thank you for reminding me. It was the user research um, to define yeah. the problem, not prototyping. Thank you. Yes, yeah. everything's coming back to me now. Yes, selecting books. Um, yeah, I I know. Before we started recording, we were talking about different types of books that we like to read, and it is a fun way to connect. I often forget that. That's a good, like people talk about music and people talk about TV shows, but I think books kind of get they really forgotten do. about. They really do. And when I was doing that research, it was amazing to me when I realized just how many industries have recommendation algorithms and um, like these sophisticated suggestion systems and there really wasn't any for books. So that's, you know, somebody out there, feel free to jump on that bandwagon because there's definitely opportunity there, I think. Yeah. And speaking of that project, I know there's something special about what came from that. Would you like to share? Yeah. So that project, I called it bookish and it really was all about discovering new books to read. Uh, and my current role, product owner at Podchaser, when I first applied, I was, I actually first applied for a project management role. And when they were vetting my uh, application, they saw my case study and Podchaser, for those who don't know, is a podcast discovery engine. So for podcast listeners, it's a great tool for discovering interesting podcasts that fall within um, like your favorite category, favorite genre, favorite niche type. So it's basically the podcast version of the app that I built in my capstone. And my boss has literally told me that one of the reasons they pushed me forward was because of that project and because of that case study and how it how it was written and how I'd researched it and so do those capstones guys make sure those case studies are good yeah and particularly if it's about something you're passionate about too and not even just books in general but defining that into a business case and optimizing people's experience around books that's yeah, yeah I I love that story and I'm so happy to have finally caught up with you to learn that and yeah. I'm happy you were, to you were part of the journey that led me here. <laughs> I'm so honored. And oh my gosh, I'm so excited to fully catch up and just even learn more about you um, today through your episode. So let's go back to the beginning before you were interviewing me about how I pick out books. What yeah. were you doing? You, you a director, producer. I'm just imagining you were running around with a clipboard more like a chicken with their head cut off, to be honest. <laughs> um, it was a really small town, small time cable show called Food Quest, which was all about travel, food, and experiences on the North American continent. Um, and that, at the time, was what I had always kind of dreamed of doing with my life. Like I've always loved film, I've always loved TV. It's a theater kid in high school, you know. So it was like that. That was what I always imagined my dream job would be. And I know you had a similar experience, I think, right? With fashion. It's like, this is what I've always dreamed of. And then you get there and then you go, oh, but it's not quite what I thought it would be. Like it is, there's, it is falling short. And I think that's definitely what happened for me. Um, it was an amazing job, but I worked seven days a week 
and five of those seven days I wasn't home. Um, I was constantly busy. I was always tired. I was exhausted. Most of the time I was overwhelmed. It was, while it was an amazing lived experience, it was also kind of very all-consuming. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was one of those really fun moments when it happened, but in hindsight, very glad I left. Yes. Oh my gosh. Seven days a week. That is no personal time. And also I'm yeah. very, very impressed that you remembered that I also had the same experience. <laughs> yeah. That is incredible. Yes. Um, I can completely relate on that. And, you know, okay. So you realizing that seven days a week is not working for you. Wonder why. Mm. Um, sarcasm there. <laughs> <laughs> so what, you know, kind of introduce, you know, I'm, first of all, I can't imagine that if you're working this much and feeling this burnt out, how you had the energy to say, hey, wait a minute. Well, I had external help uh, in the form of a massive pandemic. Um, when uh, the pandemic hit, the show was canceled because it is very hard to film a travel show when all travel has come to a screeching halt. Uh, and we lost funding and uh, you know we were really struggling to find ways to keep the keep the plot alive um and so the show show, show got canceled uh, we didn't really have anything else going on at the production studio which meant i was i was out of a job i was sitting around in my living room eating way too many sun chips and <laughs> just passing the time um and i was i was in a position where i did have that breathing room to think to myself kind of okay when all this is over, when the world comes back to being the world that we'd known it as, what do I want to do? Do I want to go back to some a, a profession where the absolute most is going to be asked of me every single day? And is that really something I think I can live up to? In the background of all of this, I was remembering uh, conversations that I'd had with my younger brother who actually passed away in 2019. He was 21 when he died. But even though he was so young, he had this really great approach to life where, where I was the career-driven, ambitious older sister who wanted to be this like great producer, director, who worked all the time and came home to see family on the holidays. Uh, Tom wanted the exact opposite. He had no interest in making everything in his life about work. He wanted to live and experience the world and spend his time with the people that mattered most to him and the places that he'd always dreamed of going. And during that pandemic, I kind of sat there and I was like, oh, was he right? <laughs> like, is that is that what's been missing from my life for the past year or so that I've been uh, kind of in this production space? Um, and you know, I, I financially, I was lucky enough to have parents that I could fall back on. So I knew that I had a window. It, was, it wasn't a huge window. I had about, I could maybe last five to six months at the time, I think. Um, and I knew that, you know, production probably wasn't for me, or at least t TV production. Uh, so I just kind of said, if I'm ever going to make a change, now is the time, you know, why not take the opportunity that's in front of me? And see if I can find something new. Certainly. And that's such a profound story and so deep too. Like getting that advice, honestly, from someone who's still part of your life, but not in the way you wish and yeah. still having them guide you like that. That's incredibly beautiful to hear. And what I'm also hearing is, you know, production, like it sounded like you still wanted to make something. Oh, definitely. I think one of the best parts of that period of my life was being able to watch that life cycle. And I use that word specifically because anyone in that UX, in the UX course will have heard it a million times. Uh, but watching that life cycle of an idea that is um, cultivated and nurtured and then that you get, to, you get to play a role in watching it bloom and blossom into a real thing that other people get to experience and enjoy and, and get value from. Like that that experience really stuck with me. That was the one part of producing that I truly, truly loved. So I knew when I started my search, anywhere that I landed, I needed to be in a position where I could continue to do that. Certainly. So 
where did UX come about? Like, how did you discover it? An Instagram ad. Instagram ad. Oh, don't tell them that. We're listening. I know, but it, but it's true. It was ironically, it was actually, it was an ad for a different UX bootcamp. It wasn't a springboard ad. It was a different bootcamp, but it was an ad for a UX UI bootcamp. And I remember seeing it and going, boot camps are a little suspicious, but what the heck is UX, UI? What does that mean? What is what is this? And, you know, I definitely was interested in the tech industry. I'd seen a lot of good things about working in tech. And obviously, again, you know, with the context of this being during pandemic times, the tech world was, from my perspective, so insulated from what was kind of devastating the industry I was leaving. And that was... Um, you know, the, the the impact that the world and the state of the world had on the industry. Like tech was just this calm little bubble of remote work. I was like, oh, that is a pie I want a slice of, right? So um, yeah, I saw that ad and I was like, well, what is this? Did a little bit of Googling. And um, I think one of the first articles I read mentioned the phrase behavioral psychology. And I was hooked. I was like, yes this is the thing, (laughs) right? That's amazing. And yeah, that's, it sounds like you went down a bit of a rabbit hole in the sense of you had no idea that this type of design profession existed. So what made you realize boot camps weren't sketchy? Because Uh, I feel that way too. And I'd love to really. Yes, I actually thought boot camps were a scam. I generally thought that. And it was by chance, I was talking to someone whose brother, I want to say was pretty high up at another boot camp. And I was like, oh, are they really getting, you know, those types of salaries? It all just sounds too good to be true. And, you know, I don't know about you, but like the New Yorker in me is like, I don't trust anything. Mm -hmm. And when he told me, this guy had nothing to lose by telling me this. He's like, no, people actually are getting those types of jobs. And I, it made me take a step back and really research things, but this isn't about me. I want to hear how you got over (laughs) this. No, I had a very similar experience, except it wasn't a specific person. It was Reddit. So I actually went on Reddit, which I'm, I am, you know, old internet, very much a millennial. Um, So I'm, I'm a Reddit person. And I remember going on Reddit and looking up um, like the legitimacy of tech boot camps. Is this really worth it? Is it worth doing? I also went on YouTube and was like, I, I Googled or YouTubed um, uh, UX uh, boot camp graduates and like boot camp graduation stories. Um, actually, a podcast like this would have been really great back then. Um, but I was, I did a bunch of due diligence because it was kind of one of those like, oh, this sounds too good to be true. Like, I'm going to do this, this one course, and at the end of it, I'm going to have a job and everything's going to work out that like that that's very snow white to me I don't know about this um but yeah on reddit I found posts of people saying oh it's totally worth it um and that's actually how I found springboard because there were so many posts of people specifically mentioning this course as a oh I took this course or I have a friend who took this course and they're now employed at insert household name company here and that was when I was kind of like hmm okay so this might actually this might be worth it. This might be worth my time. Certainly. And I can't even imagine there's some underground, like, let's just talk about Springboard on Reddit. Like, these are <laughs> most likely real people that are sharing their real stories. So yeah, I worded that weird. I got to cut that out. But <laughs> my point is, like, you know, people on Reddit are not yeah, it's not a bot situation at all, you know? Like, it's yeah. it's Reddit. Yeah. So Reddit is like – and that's why I've always liked going there because I feel like Reddit is very much like a direct line to other real people who are talking about lived experiences, which really lended a lot of legitimacy to me. I was like, this – okay, so yeah, this is this is a thing. This is a thing that's worth it. And, and I went to Springboard and did a little bit more research, and that was that. Fantastic. So in the course, you know, you're – working on your capstone for bookish, what really helped you in your career now? Like, what did you learn at Springboard that you're still using today? Um, ev- Like everything. And I'm not exaggerating. I mean, one of the most, one thing I've always been really grateful for 
uh, with my experience in this course was how thoroughly they dissect and then um, explain and outline the product life cycle and all of the work that falls within each phase. Because, um, you know, as a, as a product owner at a startup, you, you have your, you wear a few different hats, right? Like we're, we're a smaller team, so we don't have dedicated UX researchers. We don't have um, like a dedicated team of product anything really it's it's it, it, we're only a handful of people and we all have to work together to make it work so um that deep dive that the course took into that life cycle all of the various pieces of the puzzle that have to fall into place in order for your product to grow to to, to come together um yeah that was that was invaluable and I think um you know, one thing, one thing I definitely got wrong was I took a little too much time in all of those chapters, really trying to absorb that information. But I'm also glad that I, that I did absorb as much of it as I, as I did, because it has, I use it every day and, um, yeah, it's been invaluable. Certainly. And I also think when you're doing your capstone, you're kind of like a little mini startup. Yeah, exactly. And granted, you know, I've only really worked at Verizon, which is a huge enterprise, and I'm strictly doing UX towards the latter half of the process. But you really kind of learn how to define the business problem and looking at Google Analytics. Like those are things I'm not using now, but knowing kind of how all those parts go together for my niche role. I certainly lends itself like you kind of understand a little bit more about the business of UX before getting into your job. 100%. And I think, I think what you said just there about how understanding that context and how that, where your niche role kind of fits into that bigger picture, it really can be so, so empowering, I think, because it, it really having those, having an idea of where those kind of rough guardrails are almost where one phase starts and another ends um I think that can be really informative really empowering when it comes to stepping into a new career and into a new role it really helps to ground you in um that sense of you know at least I have a basic understanding of what I'm supposed to be doing and what I'm not um so any like uh imposter syndrome can really it it just really it really just wipes that away or at least it did for me Oh, I love to hear that the course wiped away some of that imposter syndrome because that's I who hasn't felt that. If you yeah. haven't ever felt that, I would like to know. I would love to. Yeah, hear right. But like, what potion did you drink? Yes, share the recipe. <laughs> yes, please. And um, can we just get that at Trader Joe's? Yeah, exactly. Can we add that to some <laughs> sort of a mailer? <laughs> That'd be great. Yes. So I'd love to understand, you know, I know you weren't able to finish the course, mm-hmm. but, you know, was there anything you know, within your journey during the course after you had to stop it that you did outside to kind of figure out where you were going or maybe even help you get to where you are now? So, yeah, I did not I did not fully finish the course because, unfortunately, I ran out of time. I had my own financial clock that I was kind of racing against, and it definitely ran out on me, which at the time was devastating. Um, but it did mean it forced me to kind of sit down and really kind of take a look at the transferable skills I had learned. Um, and it forced me to look at a lot of these product practices from a different in a different way or through a different lens, uh, because obviously I reached that time clock and that meant that it was, you know, it was past time for me to have a job. <laughs> and so I needed to really push myself into some sort of a space. And I found a lot of overlap with project management. Um, because in a weird way, project management is kind of a product role in and of itself, except the product you're working on is processes and time management and team coordination. It's not, um, like a, well, I want to say a tangible product, but I don't know if a website counts. <laughs> um, uh, but it it really forced me to re-examine um, what I had learned as a part of the course. And that, I, I then took all of those skills. I took everything from the product life cycle to the um, ideate, define, um, double diamond product cycle map. I took that and applied it into project management, the project management role that I ended up in. Um, I ended up 
uh, completely changing the way that they did all of their creative project management. Uh, I turned it into this like product-esque agile cycle that uh, dramatically increased efficiency and found, hey, you know, like these skills that I've learned, they're not just applicable within this one space. They can be super valuable when it comes to the way people work together and the way that we communicate as a team and um, work processes, SOPs, stuff like that. Um, and it, it just, it really, it felt like a learning experience because I was testing out, I was like flexing muscles that I didn't know were there, if that makes sense, uh, and strengthening them. And I think that has definitely paid off now that I am officially in the product world. Absolutely. I can definitely see how you were able to translate everything, particularly with your background in film and TV. I'd love to understand the exact timeline. So you had to end the course. Were you, how did you get this job? It sounds, you know, I know a lot of springboards will go through the career coach that is offered with the job guarantee, but it sounds like you had to take a different approach due to your circumstances. Yeah. So I, um, I, and I really, I I don't want to say this because I don't want anybody else to feel this way, but I, at the time did not feel confident that I would be able to break into the product world because I hadn't finished the course. And because of that, I kind of had a, had a frank moment with myself where I was like, okay, we're not going to be able to do that. So what else can we do? Project management. Uh, and once, once the decision was made, that was it. Uh, and that led to, uh, tons of cold emailing on LinkedIn and uh, applying to like 30 something job postings a day on LinkedIn and Indeed and any other sites I could find. Um, and I really kind of had took this approach of doesn't matter how big or how small. I, I, the only thing I knew I needed was a remote position and that was the only filter I applied. Um, and then I just, yeah, I just threw my application out there and I did include my uh work from the course. I always submitted my portfolio as a part of that process, um, which even applying for a project management role, I mean, the first role I had was a project manager for the creative team at a digital marketing agency. And they looked at my portfolio piece and thought it was impressive. So those case studies are not just going to be helpful if you are looking for a product role, if you're looking to apply those skills or apply um, apply what you've learned or apply that experience to anything else, it is fully transferable. And that's what I did. And I did it quite successfully. I was actually really surprised at how quickly I managed to land that project management role. I think it was only about three weeks after I stepped away from the course that I got um, the first interview with that agency. That's incredible. Three weeks is yeah. like three seconds in job hunting time. I know. I swear. That's incredible. So I'd love to understand, you know, we're really taught to structure our case studies for UX jobs. And obviously, if you have different goals, um, the career coaches sort of help you finagle that, like if you want to go to UX research. But I, mm-hmm. I'd love to understand how you laid out your case studies for project management roles. Was it any different? Were there things you had to focus on specifically? What was that like? Um. So I... When I combed back through it and I peppered in some additional details into how I had managed my own personal project. So I talked about um, like personal deadlines I'd set as a part of the work. And I talked about the juggling of multiple uh, juggling of multiple stages or mul- multiple research types. I talked about how I organized that research, how I planned out the approach a little bit more. Um, because a big part of project management is you're just – planning, right? So I highlighted all of the planning that I'd done, not just the results that I'd gotten. Um, And I think that was definitely helpful. And then also on my um, resume, on my LinkedIn portfolio, I threw in a bunch of keywords that are relevant to the project management field. Um, So things like time management, efficiency, (laughs) things like that. Um, Slip those in where I could to make sure that I was... um, highlighting yeah highlighting those aspects of the product work that I had done oh interesting and then what other resources did you rely on as far as job hunting um did you have a friend who kind of knew the career or did you find really interesting articles was there anything else that helped guide you um a few articles yep I also watched a few uh YouTube videos as well kind of like a day in the life of the project manager Um, but I did take, I took a little bit of time to do some research to make sure I understood what I was getting myself into. 
but probably the most valuable resource, weirdly enough, was reading the job descriptions for the project management uh, roles that were out there at the time. I took uh, like a full day, I think, about a week into the job search to just go, okay, I'm sending out a resume that has a bunch of words on it that make sense to me, but... I don't know what they want to hear. What are they looking for? Maybe I need to step back and do a little bit of user research of, of my own for this and treat, um, you know, treat the companies I want to get hired at like they're the users I'm trying to appeal to. Let me better understand them. And so I sat down and just read a bunch of job descriptions and looked at keywords, phrasing uh, to kind of better understand what they were looking for. And then I took that and I applied it to my resume and I applied it to my LinkedIn profile. I made tweaks to my case studies and my portfolio um, because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just saying what I wanted to say. I was saying what they needed to hear. Certainly. No, I think that's an amazing tactic. I'm so glad you shared it. Just reading all of those job descriptions. We had another guest, Rachel, who just interviewed person after person just to understand what being in the UX field was like. So similar patterns here, um, filing things and finding the key points, or I guess in UX, you call them key pain points that you need to solve for. (laughs) Exactly. Um, That's, that's a very cool strategy. And one thing I do, I had considered a career in project management as well before I discovered UX. And one thing I noticed is project management honestly sounds like the term engineer, like mm-hmm. it's so broad. You can project manage anything, but I think a lot of people feel if you're a project manager somewhere, you can do that anywhere. And I don't think that's true. It's yeah. kind of like saying you're an engineer, like you can be a software engineer, but that doesn't mean you can just go be a civil engineer. Um, so I'd love to kind of understand your perspective of project management. Like if someone's really looking to get into it, what to look out for and what to really understand about the job as a whole. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I um, actually, this is a great question because I started as a project manager at a marketing agency and really struggled uh, because marketing is just not my wheelhouse. And when you're project managing for a creative department at a marketing agency, you are also contributing to um, to those assets. I'm Like when it comes to copy or um, direction for any marketing images or videos that are being used. Uh, there's 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 a misconception with project management that you are removed from the team that you work with and that your central focus is on deadlines and making sure things are done and keeping costs low. But there is a whole other side to the field that is all about having a complete understanding of what your industry is about and more specifically, the goals of your team and the work that your team does. In marketing, I was useless because I'm, I I do not have a good mind for um, marketing copy or uh, for solid marketing strategy. It's just it does not it's it's just not me and not who I am. Um, but what I did have a good mind for was product, which is why I left that agency and looked for a new position in tech. And that's how I I ended up at Podchaser because I knew I could definitely apply everything I knew about work processes and efficiency, time management, collaboration, I'd have a much easier time applying that or, or fulfilling that role at a tech company because I'm so familiar with the product cycle and with the work developers do, the work that product teams do. That familiarity, that understanding is so, it, it is such an important part of the job and it allowed me to fill that role successfully where at the marketing agency I had just bombed. <laughs> Oh dear. But you said you were able to refinangle their whole strategy. So it sounds oh, like yeah. you did have some success there. Oh, well, when it came to the actual process of how the work got done, that that I was able to do. But I think that's because I treated it like a UX project. Like I looked at it like my user group is the designers. My stakeholders are the um, client managers. And my product is the way that they work together. So how can I enable these um, communication, uh, these, um, what is a good way to say this? How can I enable communication across these different channels between these two completely different remote teams in a way that is efficient and, um, 
easy and not at all stressful since they already have stressful jobs as it is. And so in that area, I was I was fine, but I don't think I did as well there because I was marketing gifted per se. The marketing half of the job, which is um, helping with the with the assets, with pulling together proper copy, with um, making sure that copy is actually good or that the assets themselves are good, um, participating in those brainstorms, that was very much outside of my comfort zone. And that's where I definitely struggled. But when it came to the actual work itself and how everybody worked together as a team, that was a lot easier for me to tackle because I had that product mindset of, oh, this is a problem and it needs to be solved. So let me tackle that. Certainly. And that's a great realization to have. I think a lot of people just struggle in their careers just because they don't know what they're good at. Yeah. So that's a very incredible thing that you were able to pull that out. And also to be slightly critical of this company, did they really make you responsible for content strategy or copy? <laughs> there because was... that was a whole other specialty in itself. But so that's the thing about project management is you're more than just a project manager. You are also an active member of the teams that you're working with. So Certainly. you will always be involved in those conversations and in a lot of cases expected to offer some insight because you do have a very unique position when you're a project manager. You're a part of the team, you're within the work, but you're also above it. So there, that third party perspective can be so, so valuable. Um, and in smaller digital agencies like the one I was at, it, it's really important for the project manager to be able to be that team player. At that company, I just, I just wasn't. It just wasn't the right fit for me. Um, but when I got to Podchaser, uh, I, yeah, I really hit my stride, and I have, I'm so glad I found this company, and I will probably never leave. So fantastic. Well, tell me about the interview process for Podchaser. I, what was, what did that look like for you? So it was multi-step. Um, there's, as are most these days from what I've heard, um, there was an initial meeting with um, their operations guy. Then I met a few members of the team, um, talked to some of the key stakeholders that are uh, important to the product development cycle. Um, and it was a lot of big conversations. They didn't have me do a um, test project or anything at the time, uh, but they did definitely talk me through a few different scenarios to see how I would handle um, you know, missing a deadline or high risk projects, things like that. Um, and that's, that's how I got my foot in the door. We actually, uh, joke about it now, me and the, um, the, one of the, uh, one of my teammates, we joke now about how I, um, when I was, my final interview was with Bradley, who's the CEO of the company. And he explicitly asked me, um, do you just want to do project management or do you have an interest in moving to product in the future? Because I'm looking to hire a project manager. And I said, Oh no, project management is great. That is totally where I want to be. Uh, and one year later on the same interview date was when my move to product owner was announced. So sorry, badly. Um, I really meant it when I said it, but yeah, the transition came anyway. You know what? It, I think things are just meant to work out how they're meant to work out. And you're a different person a year later. Like, how how would you be able to foresee everything? Oh, yeah. And I think we, like, me and Bradley have joked about it a few times since then. He gives me, he, he makes fun of me for it all the time. It's very much like a, I asked you. And I'm like, I know, I'm sorry. But when the opportunity presented itself, it was kind of one of those, uh, the world went into slow motion moments. And I was like, oh, my gosh, has my my time really come um yeah but also like you know what would product look like at that company maybe even if that job did come up and it wasn't the exact role you were looking for you probably wouldn't have asked for it well so it wasn't a defined we kind of defined the role um as I made the switch so I was a project manager to start and then uh, over the first six months that I was at the company, we um, we were looking at the product department and uh, myself and Dave, who I work with quite closely, were talking about how, how we can best organize as a team to make sure that we can achieve all of the goals that we have for the product. And there are many. I mean, we are big dreamers at Podchaser. Um, and... We'd had a couple of conversations, uh, just like 
product brainstorms, really. We had a mirror board open. We're throwing post-its everywhere. Like, what? how can we do this? How can we move things around to make it work? Um, and after a couple of weeks of back and forth and doing that, me not thinking for a split second that, you know, any sort of a potential change to my role was coming, uh, he was like, hey, so we've, you know, in these brainstorms talked a bit about, you know, how having an additional person on the product team to be more of the backlog owner and to work directly with the developers would be useful. What if that person was you? And I said, me? There's no one else in this call? <laughs> me? <laughs> sure. Uh, and jumped on the opportunity and ran with it. And uh, I'm so, so grateful that he and the whole upper management at Podchaser uh, were kind of willing to take that leap of faith on me and willing to give me that opportunity. Um, I definitely... I definitely took it and ran with it. And uh, they tell me I'm doing okay so far. So I think if you weren't doing well, you would know. Yeah. Like I've definitely seen people where, you know, I've seen with various managers, like if that person's going to get fired, like they're going to get fired. Obviously, <laughs> let's not go there. But yeah, I feel like. No, we have, a, we have a great team. And I think. Um, we have a great team. We found this really beautiful product cycle sweet spot that we're working with now, um, uh, which is kind of uh, a new way that we've defined the way that we work and the way that we develop our product and the way that we try to continue to improve it day after day after day. I mean, startup culture means we're constantly looking at ways that we can improve, iterate, and just ship stuff, right? Like, I think a um, kind of a common idea in the startup space is just build as much as you can and throw it out there, see what sticks. And if it fails, it fails. But if it succeeds, then awesome, run with it. Um, and we we very much embody that. Uh, better is good is kind of our motto at the moment. Better is good. And um, that, was, that was the sentiment when I made the switch. I'm still here, so it's going well. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's a great team to be a part of. That's fantastic. And it sounds like you've got a... This is basically a long-winded way to say you got promoted. So <laughs> congratulations on that. Um, one thing I would love to know, so I think some people are really, you know, startup, that word is just so buzzy. And I don't think a lot of people understand what that means, but they just want to work for one. So I'd love to understand kind of the mindset people need to get into a startup, maybe when they're a little bit more junior. Granted, it sounds like, you know, you were able to really leverage your first job, but what would you have to say on that? Yes, I think startup culture is very much, um, it's very fast paced, uh, but it's also very fun and casual. Like one thing that I really love about Podchaser is how passionate everybody in the company is about podcasting and about um, podcasting data and intelligence and making that accessible and kind of opening that space up. Um, to everybody, podcasters included, so that you can truly leverage this media form um, kind of in the modern world and in the world at large. Um, you, you have these really passionate people who are willing to take, put that extra effort in, put in those extra hours um, to wear those extra hats for the team. It is very fast paced. Uh, there is a lot going on at all times. So juggling is kind of a must, but it's fun and it's exciting. And there's something new every other week, which is so cool. I mean, listen, organizing project kickoff calls can definitely take a little bit of time, but um, but getting to have them as often as we do and getting to dive down these different rabbit holes is just, it's such a dream job for me because that's very much in line with what I was doing before. Um, working in television, working as a producer on that show, we needed to have a handful of five-minute segments to fill each episode. Typically, we aimed for about five so that means for every episode, you've got five projects. You've got about 10 to 12 episodes a season minimum. So that's, that is a lot of projects that you're diving in and out of every other day. So that fast-paced environment was something that I was used to, something I enjoyed, um, and something I've definitely found again here in the startup world. That being said, I know it's not always for everyone. So one thing I think is super important before you enter your job search after a boot camp like the Springboard one is understanding the work-life balance you're after and the type of work that you want to be doing and more importantly how you want to be working right like I know that I like to be busy I like 
to do something new every week. I like to uh, collaborate and run around and I like a long to-do list. So for me, startups were, it, it was a perfect fit, but it, it, I also know it's not for everybody. Certainly. Yeah. I know some people are just, I need my 40 hours a week, maybe a yeah. little less if it's remote and you can get away with that sometimes. Um, I, yeah, absolutely. And also like, from what I've gleaned, startups, depending on your funding, things are a lot more lean. Like at Verizon, we have all these resources, except yeah. like I can do a user test whenever I want. And those are expensive. When I worked for startups, we were doing a lot of things manually. Mm-hmm. So I know you haven't necessarily worked at a big enterprise, but you know, what's that? Are you, you experience that leanness? Like, are there things you have to kind of cut corners around? Definitely. I think there is, because there, we place a big emphasis on um, the, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to curse. So heads up everybody, but we put, we put a big emphasis on the build fast break shit motto that is very common in the product world. Um, And because of that, we don't do a ton of preemptive user user testing. We have kind of these uh, funnels in place that mean that we're constantly getting new insights from both current product users, current pro clients, and also prospective ones. Uh, But we're not doing a ton of active outreach before we build. We use the information that we have. Uh, to try and paint as full of a picture as we can. And we also do a lot of work with our stakeholders. I spend a lot of time working with our client success team, with our sales team, with our marketing team to fully understand kind of what the what the, what the word is <laughs> on the product, I guess. Um, and we use we have to use a lot of that. And then we also have to do a lot of inferring. I spend a ton of time looking at our event tracking analytics and understand like Google Analytics and... Um, trying to piece together the puzzle that is each user's journey across the site, looking for those holes that need to be patched. Um, So we don't, while we don't have that fully fledged UX team and we don't have all those resources, there is a fun challenge in there of, okay, well, how can I, um, as a product, as a sole product owner, how can I kind of plug those holes and fill those gaps with the information that I do have? Um, And then we, we build fast. We do a ton of MVP work. Um, and we're very lean with those MVPs. We will shave scope down until it is exactly what we need it to be. And then we throw it out there into the world and we go, voila, uh, here it is. And we watch and we wait and we collect feedback. Again, we go through that whole cycle one more time and then we iterate. But we really rely on that. Um, let's get something together. Let's get something out there and let's see what sticks mentality. Mm-hmm. And it does work. <laughs> it does. It does work. Uh, quite wonderfully for us, at least. Certainly. So yeah, it sounds like you're dealing with a lot of quantitative data. And I think you've shared something really interesting in that I noticed within Springboard and a lot of junior designers, they have to prototype things and test things before things are even built and launched. And I remember even at Verizon, we were doing that for a massive product launch. And I was Mm. kind of like, wait, we're not going to be user testing some of this stuff. Obviously yeah. some of it was, but not to the extent I, in my own little opinion, felt it should be. Yeah. So it just kind of blew my mind that you would just build it, let people use it. And yeah, in some ways it's kind of high risk, high reward. It definitely is. Um, I think what we do at Podchaser is we've really begun to leverage what we call internal testing. So we will push a certain work uh, live to Podchaser staff members, and then we'll enlist them as kind of a user testing substitute. So, um, uh, and mostly because a lot of our, and a lot of our internal teams, while they are familiar with the product, they're also very familiar with our personas and the use cases that we're building for. So we'll throw things in front of them with little to no explanation and just go, hey, here's a thing, go use it. What do you think? And we'll do these internal testing loops um, to find those bugs, to make sure that we're not missing any any um, like routes or important exit points, or to make sure that wayfinding is 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 there, and to make sure the product can stand on its own. Um, and then once that internal testing round is done, then we'll push it live, and then we'll see what happens. But because it's internal, we're able to do it so quickly. Like it is a Slack link to a general channel. And whoever can jump in and do it does. Um, 
that is one thing I think that is great about our team is is how willing people are to to dive in and to click the link and to collaborate that way. Um, but yeah, that's kind of been our workaround at least. But no, I totally agree. Like that that is one area that you do see um, there isn't as big of an emphasis on that out in the in the product world as there is in the course. Certainly. And also like, you know, I think that's a great workaround, you know, testing it on employees who aren't necessarily like close to the product while they might sell it or market it, actually using it, you know, they're still looking at things with fresh eyes. Yeah. And that's very valuable. Like today we just had a work share and while we all work on the shop flows for the wireless products, there's still, you know, certain scenarios that I'm not familiar with. So I can look at things with fresh eyes and it's, it does say something when, you know, what am I trying to say? I think when you're really in a project for so long, it is so hard to miss things. So I thought it was, it was really interesting, like studying some of the use cases where things failed in school Mm. and then when you actually are in it you're like oh I absolutely see why things fail in the real world you just your head's so in it um so that's a really interesting workaround yeah I think also one of the great benefits of this is um you know while we might be close to the product from a product perspective sales teams marketing teams client success teams um all of these other teams they have their own unique perspective and relationship and I've definitely found personally, like reaching out to these teams of people and, and doing that internal pass through, the feedback that I get is so valuable. And because they're looking at these things, these new releases from this completely different perspective, they're seeing gaps or seeing opportunities in a lot of cases that I completely missed because it's just not within, um, it's, it's just not something you'd see through the lens that I'm looking at it through. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah, it's been it's been super valuable for us. Highly recommend <laughs> that it's to give it a try. Certainly. And I think you highlighted something really interesting where it's so important once you get that job to talk to your various stakeholders about what their job is like. Like I know when I started, I would take time to just have little coffee chats with people and yeah. say, what is your job like? And it really gave me some unique perspectives on what they look for and therefore help me do my job better. Definitely. I think collaboration in as a product person, regardless of what realm of product you work in, having that collaborative relationship with stakeholders and with developers. Like I have I have amazing relationships with the developers that I work with and I honestly lean on them a lot <laughs> for uh, for their input, for tech direction. Um, you know, like just building those relationships, cultivating them and maintaining them is such an underrated part of the job. Um, but it can be so valuable because I've had the exact same experience as you, like having those conversations are just, it it really tees you up to be able to then ask those bigger questions later and to, and to do valuable work together, which I think at the end of the day is what we're all after. Certainly. And that actually made me think, I know a lot of people trying to get into the industry they don't, you know, UX designers, they haven't really worked with engineers, mm. most people. And was that ever a question you had to navigate? Um, I know for me, yeah. that made me sweat because oh, I yeah. really hadn't worked with them in the capacity I think they wanted me to answer to. Yeah, no, it it was, um, it, it was a, what's the right way to put this? Um, I would definitely say working with developers was very intimidating to me at first because they are so smart. <laughs> like the the team that I work with, probably some of the smartest people I've ever met. Mm-hmm. And walking into that room knowing that there's a language they speak that I don't have a dictionary for is very it is very intimidating, you know, that um what was what was the oh, I just forgot a phrase. Um imposter syndrome will rear its head back up for some people because it definitely did for me. I think the first, the first time I ran a sprint planning call, I had the fan on, I was wearing a t-shirt. I was like, I was sweating, had five glasses of water next to me. because I was like, Oh my gosh, here we go. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, developers, the developers, they're not scary. They're people and they're, they can be really fun to work with. Like I, 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 I don't know if maybe it's just cause I'm 
kind of blessed with the team that I work with, but they they're an, an they're an invaluable resource, especially as a product owner. When you're managing a backlog, one of the hardest questions to answer is time. How long is this going to take me? How big of an effort is this? Where are the rabbit holes within this piece that we've put together? Like, okay, the, as a product team, we have researched, we have shaped, we've defined, we have this beautiful um, design that we want to build. Like, this is it's beautiful. When you take that to a developer, there's an inevitable moment when they're going to start poking holes in it. And, and that moment, it, it's a really beautiful moment because in those in, in that space, you get to realize a dream. It sounds sounds maybe a little bit of a corny way to put it, but you're, that is where you take something out of your imagination and you start to bring it into reality. Um, and you're only going to be able to do that if you have that relationship with developers. Um, and in my experience, like developers are really patient people. <laughs> like they're, I know that the ones I work with are, because the number of times that I've said, uh, they've explained something to me and I've said, right, but, uh, but what do you mean? <laughs> Cause I don't speak developer. I, I know, I know it probably drives them crazy, but every single one of them is so great about taking the time to break things down. I would actually say what I do recommend, uh, and this is something that I did that I found hugely helpful is take some time to go on YouTube and to understand the very basics, not of coding itself, but of, um, of the way that backend systems are built, the way that data moves, how data pipelines work, how that connects to a front end, um, the way that those those two pieces of a product come together. Uh, if you have a good understanding of the overarching arching architecture of that space, the the overarching architecture of that space, it can be really really helpful when you're trying to prioritize a backlog or groom a backlog, build a project, things like that. You um, yeah, the familiarity can be super valuable. Certainly. And you gave some great terminology there, but if someone were to go search for that, what words or phrases would you type into YouTube to get a video yeah. like that? Yeah, so I think it really depends on um, what exactly you're looking for. But I would say backend data structures is a great one. Um, the front end to backend endpoint connections is another good one. Uh, data, well, it depends on the uh, data system you use, but like um, looking at understanding a little bit of the basics of like ma machine learning, because we we do some machine learning at Podchaser, or understanding the basics of kind of the tech niche that your company um, falls into, I think can also be super valuable. So for for me, that was really having a good good solid understanding of databases and data systems and how those systems function how they're built the maintenance of that as well um yeah things like that would be a good place to start i would say but what i did when i started looking was i actually asked our engineering manager for a list and said where should i start uh so if you are in a position to ask somebody within the tech field totally do because uh, just like us product nerds, how we love to talk product, I promise you, tech nerds love to talk tech. So if you ask, they will answer. I believe you. I believe you. I think people who get into software engineering, it's almost, dare I say, a lifestyle. Like their lives sort of revolve around, and especially ones that are very passionate about it, especially I think in startup life, they just yeah. want to constantly hone their skills, keep, you know, their life is building something. Oh yeah, it's and I think it's a great habit that um, that that life learner, lifelong learning habit, I think is what it's called, right? Where you you're constantly looking at, um, well, you're almost treating yourself like a product, right? Like you're you're looking at yourself and and your current version, and okay, how can I iterate? Where are my problem spaces? What are my pain points? And how can I how can I build on those to create an even better version of me? Um, developers look at themselves the way that they build. How can I refine this? stack of code? How can I improve this? How can I minimize my tech debt in my day-to-day -day life? Um, and I, I think it's, I think it's super valuable. I know I definitely apply product life cycle things to me and the way I manage my day-to-day -day things now. So certainly. Yeah. And you gave an example as to how you read all the different job descriptions to do that. So yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I truly feel like it's, you know, I, I go back and forth. Like I know fashion very much was my identity for a while. And then when I 
literally said I broke up with fashion. Um, I realized that wasn't healthy. So it's been interesting finding a healthy balance between being a UX designer, but also thinking everything is user experience. My whole life, my whole thoughts, how I navigate problems and situations, it's an experience and how could things be optimized? It's, it's a very fascinating tech is a tech is a unique place. There is a meta rabbit hole here that you could definitely fall down for a solid week, at least, probably. Certainly, certainly. Big, yeah, big conversations there. But I think it's I think that's one of the cool things about product work is uh, it is a completely different way to look at the world that we live in and the way that we interact with it. And once I think it's kind of inevitable, you know, like once you start really paying attention and I think you know with a boot camp like springboards like that that kind of kicks that process off once you once you have these thought patterns once you understand them and the way that they can they can truly work for um improvement and and um innovation like it's almost it becomes really hard to not do that in day-to-day life like the amount of times that I'll open uh like my banking app and go see now if you just move this one button here (laughs) or if you just it is all the time like my my family absolutely hate it at this point because it's awful but yeah we can't help it we can't help it can't help it well with that you know is there anything that you know we haven't talked about that you'd like to share um I think we had a really good conversation actually this is a great talk um I enjoyed myself as well yeah no this has been awesome I think the only thing I would say uh, if there's anybody sitting in a boot camp right now listening to this, um, patience is key and persistence is important. Like if this is, if product is something that you are passionate about and it's something that you want, you are ready to kind of throw yourself into, then just do it. Do it and ride that wave and see where it takes you. But don't lose don't lose that faith and don't lose that hope. And when that opportunity does pop up, and I'm very sure that it will, do not pass it by. Grab that bull by the horns. Certainly. No, I think that's, you know, key. It's hard to tell someone, I think, to be patient when they just want something to happen. But yeah. it's so true. It's something you can't really control. Yeah. You can't You can do a lot about it but it's not something you can control completely and not being in control of things is hard for a lot I yeah 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 it's it's yeah and I think you know especially the job hunting it can be so daunting and that imposter syndrome can be so hard to beat but it is it is just a piece of the process you know there isn't there are those greener pastures exist on the other side you know and you will get there you just have to have to stick with it. Certainly. And with that, you know, where, Phoebe, do you see yourself going? You are very happy at your job right now. You, I feel like could talk about this for like a whole <laughs> podcast series. Oh, I totally could. It's awful. I'm the worst. When, it, when you get me started, I just can't seem to stop. Um, <laughs> I honestly see myself continuing to push Podchaser to newer, better heights and 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 into introducing new features like I, I love this product I'm super lucky to have found a team and a company with a culture that is that resonates so well with me um yeah you'll probably you'll probably find me here if you if we had another conversation another year from now this is I, I don't think much will have changed that's amazing. Well, considering how things change week by week there, it sounds like things will change, but things won't change. <laughs> yeah. Now, the same same thing. Uh, well, different thing. Same place. I don't really know how to word those very well. Um, but yeah, I, it's, it's same like... Same different stuff. Yeah, there we go. Same place, different stuff. That's a good way to put it. Well, thank you so much for your time and sharing your story. Would you be open to listeners connecting with you on social media? Yeah, definitely. I've got LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. Please feel free. Uh, on LinkedIn, you'll find me at my full name, which is Phoebe Neve Stacy. It's spelled super weird, so bear with me. It's P-H-O-E-B-E-N-I-A-M-H. It's Irish. And my last name, Stacy, S-T-A-C-E-Y. So 
you want to reach out, connect, shoot me a message, please feel free. I can literally talk about this for days. So amazing. I'm sure you would be an amazing connection to have. I'm certainly happy that we've stayed connected, kind of. We have. I think at heart we have. We just haven't actually spoken. But And, you know, that being said, for anyone listening, if anyone has any questions for myself or Phoebe that I could answer on a future episode, please email me at alumnipodcast at spoonboard.com. Phoebe, again, thank you so much for your time. And it was a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, you as well. Thanks for having me. 